Welcome to Served Neat, hosted by your girl, Jen Hartman. I'm the CEO of Neat, a boutique PR and marketing agency based out of Louisville, Kentucky. I launched Neat in 2019 with just $3,000 in my bank account. Since then, I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of emerging brands and Fortune 500 empires. I believe that marketing and PR should be served neat, just like your favorite bourbon. On this podcast, you'll hear about the latest and greatest growth strategies, the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, and so much more. Pour yourself a glass of your favorite bourbon because it's time to dive in to this week's episode. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Served Neat. In today's episode, I have my favorite COO ever with me, and we're going to be chatting all things COOs, hiring, firing, giving feedback, and I can't wait to get into all of it. But before we do, Lauren, hi, hello. Can you just introduce yourself to the people? Hi, hello. Yeah. What do the people need to know? My name is Lauren. That's apparently, that's obvious probably because- Yes, your name would be helpful, but also too, I know that you have a really interesting background. You didn't pop out of the womb and you weren't birthed a COO, right? You did not know you were going to be a COO until much later in your 20s. So if you could just chat about your journey, the fact that we both went to the same school for undergrad and just never ran into each other is a fun note to add here. Fun fact. Okay. Yeah. So no, I- I definitely did not think I was going to be a COO. Although, funnily enough, it is kind of a combination of all of the things I have loved for my jobs all along the way. Ended up being just exactly what I needed and I didn't know it. But yes, Jen and I both went to Bellarmine. I was on the pre-med track. I graduated with a biochemistry and molecular biology degree, which is why Jen and I never ran into each other because we were in a hole over here all alone in the lab for a million hours a week. And then when I decided I didn't want to go to med school, it was like, okay, well, now now what? And so I worked at a cancer center doing like clinical trial research for a while, started my own business doing like personal finance coaching and financial planning, went and did kind of client management at a tax firm. And along the way, ended up here. I just kind of slid into Jen's DMs when she posted that she was considering hiring. I don't even know if you had fully decided in that time. It was a very casual Instagram story that I just decided I was going to respond to. And now here we are. Here we are. But yeah, at some point when I was just thinking about hiring a COO a little over a year ago, I popped up on stories and just mentioned it in passing. I was like, I'm thinking about hiring a COO. And same day I get a voice note from Lauren like, hey, never interested. I would love this. Yeah. And what's so funny from there is I didn't officially post the role on anything. I didn't have proper job application for anyone to fill out. But when I was officially ready to start those conversations, I immediately went to Warren and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's hop on a quick call. I want to catch up and see what you're up to. And I had known Warren because I had worked with her when she was a personal finance coach and I met her in person, Summit of Slay. And so we just kind of existed in the same world for a little bit, saw each other in passing. And for some reason, 
Lauren is someone I trust with my life. And I was like, well, if I trust her with my life, I can probably trust her with my business. And (laughs) as soon as we hopped on that call and just had a quick conversation, it wasn't even a formal interview. It was just kind of a catch-up call. That's when I was like, oh yeah, Lauren's definitely the person to replace me from an operations perspective in the business. And it just, it ended up working out perfectly. And there was no hesitation in hiring her. And she's been with us for a year, which is crazy. I can't believe it's like your one year anniversary. It is. Time gone. It is almost my one year anniversary. And can I just, I've said this to Jen before, I think it's funny because every other job I have ever had at, even before the one year mark, I get the antsiness, right? I get very bored and I want to go and like find something else. This role specifically is so exciting. It's never boring. And I can just see and plan the next year, the next five years, what we're doing and where we want to go. And it's just so much fun. Lauren knows I'm a words of affirmation girly and I know she is as well. So anytime we can compliment each other and just fill each other's cups in that way, it just makes me so happy. Yay. Okay. Let's get into the interview part of the interview. I want to start by asking, when is it time to hire a COO? Mm, Yeah. So I think based on the conversations that Jen and I have had, how we've worked together in the past year, and then just the hires that we have made since I have come on, I think hiring a COO is the biggest hire that a business owner, a founder can make truly. I have to be an extension of Jen. I have to be able to work as she would work, make decisions that are in the best interest of the business and her vision for the business. But I also have to be willing to provide my opinions and exist over here on my own. Just a very different kind of role than anybody else. So I would say there are a couple of things to me that really stick out is when as a founder or an owner, you feel you are tapped for time. You are the only one who is holding on to all kinds of tasks and there's no one else that you can delegate them to and there's no more time in your day. That's a really big one. I think when you have a really clear vision for where you want to go, I think back to when I was running my own business, I was doing it and it was fine. I was so unclear. There was no goals. There was no vision. There was no long-term plan. I could never have brought on and I was capped for time, but bringing on somebody else would have proved nothing because I had no idea what I wanted to do long-term. So I think that piece of it is really important. And then just being willing to trust someone else and let things go and actually delegate. And that might sound, oh yeah, okay, like I can delegate, but can you really? Are you really willing to let things go and give them to someone else to do and trust that they're going to do them in a way that you would be okay with them doing it like that? Just being honest with yourself about whether or not you're there, I think is really important. Yes. And delegating to a COO is a very different feeling than delegating to an assistant. An assistant is going to, you know, manage your inbox or maybe... I don't know, message people on Instagram, maybe do some light social media work, but a COO is probably going to do some big picture planning with you. She's going to hire, she's going to fire. She plays a much bigger role or he plays a much bigger role in the business. And like what Warren said, you have to trust this person. And I trust Lauren with my life. I trust her with my business. And it's been so important. If I didn't trust Lauren, then there's no way she would have been here as long as she's been here. So that for sure. And then you touched on that I would like to expand on is the feeling of being capped. And it's a different feeling than, oh, I have a lot of client work. I'm just going to hire a coordinator to help me or someone to help with implementation. The feeling of being capped last June was an entirely different feeling of being capped than I've had before. I 
was managing people. I was managing clients. I was managing myself. And with that, we were not making any more money. We were loading at 20 to maybe 25K months, which was fine, but that had gone on for an extended period of time. And I, myself as CEO, was limiting the growth of the business. I had to take a step back in order for us to get to that next level, if you will. And so it's really important to be honest with yourself. How many people can you really manage in a day between your team and between clients? It becomes really overwhelming and you're hurting the business at the end of the day if you don't have the ability to step back. But at the same time, a COO is such a massive hire, not only from the perspective of finances, right? But also from the perspective of this person is doing a lot for your business from operations to hiring to systems. And it's a lot to give up as a CEO. So I'm going to cut you off for two seconds because as a mom, I think a lot about the example or the reference point of, I know Jen, she has her fur baby, but like there were a lot of times when I had my own business where I felt like my business was baby number two. It was like the thing that I was, I cared about it. I was building it. I was nurturing it. I was doing all these things. And I think about that moment when I was a mom where I had to try to decide if I was going to put my kid in daycare. Do I trust this person or this group of people with the life and existence of this thing that I care about so much, my kid, right? And it's just like Jen said, it's such a huge decision. So like, there's my weird reference point. Got to be willing to trust the people. Yeah, trust the people. So this question you can't answer, but I want to riff on it for a second. (laughs) Maybe you can speak on it. But when it comes to what I was looking for in a COO, I really wanted someone, one who I could trust. And we already talked about the trust factor. Number two, I was looking for someone who had been with a multi-million dollar firm because that's what I want to do. I want Nate to be a multi-million dollar company. And I really wanted someone who could come in and who had that experience because I don't have that experience. I've never built my own multi-million dollar company before. But I know Lauren has played a massive role in that process before. So I knew she could help us get there as a business. The other thing I was looking for too is someone who was really comfortable having hard conversations. Because I'm not going to lie, I've been in business for four years, but I still struggle to have the really crappy conversations around negative feedback or when somebody on the team just is not working out. Those conversations are really tough for me to have. Lauren is really great at balancing being kind, but also being firm. And I needed somebody that on the team, someone who could maybe not play bad cop. That's not really the right word for it, but someone who could balance me out in that way. And so I wasn't just looking for somebody who had the hard skills, but I needed somebody who had the soft skills as well, because you can't teach somebody that either they have that, either they care and they're passionate and they like people or they don't. And Lauren really loves people and she loves the operation side, the hiring, the training. And I had not wired that way. So having somebody who could compliment me was so important. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have this episode is because when I was going into this process, there were so few people talking about hiring a COO and what exactly a COO does, because there's so many facets to it, right? You work on our systems, you create SOPs, but you also hire people and you train people and you fix things when they break and you fire people and you kind of dive into finances as well. You do so much as a COO, but a lot of people just don't know what COOs can really do for a business. 
happiness. Yeah. And I think too, I'll kind of go back to a point you were making, right? That is something that I think is really important to ask the right questions in the interview process. Because Jen and I talk about this a lot when it comes to hiring other people. You can interview someone and you can ask questions about like experiences that they've had or, you know, good things they've done or bad things they've done. But really asking unique questions that matter to you. So for us, ownership is a really big deal. And that was a really big deal for Jen before I came on, right? And also that caring for people. And so she asked me questions and now I ask other people questions related to the things that matter to us when we're interviewing them. I don't want silly half answers or like surface level things. I want to get down to the point of if it's important to me that you care about humans, I want to hear about a time that that was applicable in a job that you were doing, how you manage them, how you manage those feelings. Don't be afraid to ask the hard questions if it's something that's really important to you, even if it seems a silly question, because I ask silly questions when I interview people all the time. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So since we're already on the topic of interviewing and asking questions, what are some of your go-to interview questions? Oh, okay. So ownership. So I'll give this example because that wasn't the one I just gave. Ownership is something that is so important, I think, in the small business realm. I mean, it's important everywhere, but like especially important in the small business realm because we do work so differently. We all work very unique schedules. We're all remote. There is a level of trust that Jen and I have to have with the team that we're building that they're going to do what they say they're going to do if we don't want to have to be babysitters and we do not have a desire to babysit and micromanage. That's just not what we want to do. And so that ownership piece is something that's really important. And so I very specifically ask, I want to know about a time that you owned a project. I want to know about a time that you owned a win. I want to know about a time that you owned a loss. I want to know what ownership has looked like to you in the past, but also what it means to you right now in your current life. And also what you think it would look like or what you would like for that to look like in this role if you do get offered the job. For example, if we're hiring a PR coordinator, if they have the job description in front of them, what does ownership look like for them? How would that feel to actually be able to own those tasks, right? And like with a question like that, it's kind of hard to like BS your way through it. You're either going to be honest and you thought about it or you're willing to think about it on the spot or you're not. So that's a really big one for me. The other one that I really like to ask is, I ask it as a two-part question because sometimes I feel like that like trips people up a little bit and like makes them have to like think a little bit more. And I really like to make people think a little bit more about things is I want to know about a time that something went really well in life or a job or their business or whatever and how they contributed to that win, right? What did they do that directly resulted or helped result in that win? And then on the flip side of that, something that didn't go well and either what they learned from it or how they handled it in the moment. And again, with that question, you can tell it's like Jen and I were talking about this, you know, that old school interview question of like, tell me about your weaknesses. And people are like, I'm a workaholic. I can tell when you're BSing that question, right? I want to know what went wrong because the reality is things are going to go wrong. We're going to have things that happen internally. We're going to have things that happen with clients. I want to know that I'm hiring someone who can see that something is happening, either provide feedback to themselves, get feedback from us, make a quick movement and adjustment, and then like learn from it and we move on. These things need to happen very quickly. And so that question I think is really telling for me if somebody will be able to do that or not. Yeah, those are all great questions. I'm going to jump back to a question I had before regarding your role specifically. Because again, people don't always know what COOs do and how much they can really handle. So tell my listeners what you handle as a COO. Oh, okay. 
so many things. I mean, I do the hiring. So I'm the one who posts the jobs. I go through the resumes, do all the interviews and the hiring. I mean, Jen is obviously involved in the decision making process, but the hiring, the firing, and that's the not so fun part, but providing feedback and then doing the ultimate firing if required. But then in the interim of that hiring and firing, I'm taking charge of the training. So before we bring someone on and when someone comes on, you know, figuring out what they're going to do, what role they're going to play, how we're going to get them up to speed, what information do they need, and really making sure that they have everything that they need to be successful. I think there's a lot that has to happen that some people don't think about when you are hiring a team member, really making sure that onboarding process is good and you're prepared. But then after they're onboarded, checking in. So we do bi-weekly one-on-ones because our team is fully remote. I mean, Jen and I are the only ones that live in Louisville. Everyone else is kind of spread out. So it can be hard when you have a remote team. So just checking in to see how they're doing, what they need. Those conversations are wildly different every time. So I think being willing to have a human conversation and get personal if they want to, or just talking about business. So really, I like to balance both of those things with team management. And then outside of that, you know, Jen and I together will come up with marketing plans. We'll come up with our launch plans. We'll come up with what kind of we want our year to look like and what our goals are. And then client management too. So I exist on client calls, work to better the client experience and that process, and then all the systems on the back end. So setting up monday.com for project management. So setting that up and not just like a one-time setup, right? Again, small businesses, things change all the time as we, especially as we bring team members on. So just making sure that the systems that exist are working and they're working well. And then finances, payroll, all the things, you know, Jen's right arm, basically. I can't move my arm. Yeah. Lauren is one of my best friends and she's also my right-hand woman in business and she's awesome. Thank you for speaking on all the things that you handle. Lauren truly handles a lot. Anytime she's out of office, I'm like, maybe like come back or wherever you're going. Do they have Wi-Fi? Can you bring a laptop? I'm just kidding. I like when people take time off, but when Lauren leaves, I get a little, little nervous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she messaged me literally today and asked me if they had had Wi-Fi where I was going to be next year from now, next July. She wants to know if there will be Wi-Fi. <laughs> okay. One of the reasons I do that is because Lord is so good at managing emotions, both with clients and our team members. And we have a very, how do I want to put this? Oh, because I want to talk about mental health for a second. Yeah. I mean, I care a lot about the human behind the, the screen. I think both with our team and with clients, I will be the first if somebody's like having a freak out moment, if somebody's acting like a crazy person, if somebody's like emotional or in all any range of emotions, or if they're saying something that feels out of character, again, it's like, well, what could be going on, right? That's like my first reaction. It wasn't always that way. I used to have a very emotional response to people's emotions. But over time, and I think in my own experiences, often there is very specific reason why people are acting the way that they are or reacting the way that they do. And most of the time, all it takes is for you to like get to a human level and like put the other things aside and like really care about what's going on and why they feel the way that they feel. To me, does that solve every problem? Just getting down on someone's level, trying to understand their feelings? No, it doesn't solve everything. But I think it's the place that I prefer to start every time because it shows that you care. And it's not like the fake care, right? Like you can 
tell when people fake care and they're just like pacifying you. It's like, oh, this person actually cares about me and they actually want to know how I'm feeling. And our team is full of people who have had experiences like Jen and I both have in the workplace where I have felt very much undervalued. I've felt overworked. I have felt like one of many. I have felt like I have voiced my concerns and my opinions and my feelings and they were ran over. And I hired people for a reason. I care about their opinions. I care about their feelings. I want to know what they think. So, you know, it just kind of goes back to like the, the human level of it all. I don't know. It's just one of the most important things to me, truly, is caring about people, their mental health, how they feel, that they feel valued and seen. Yeah. I like that we're all about that at NEAT. I will say one of the reasons why I get nervous when you leave is because you are better at that than I am. That's a strength. I'm working on it, but your skills in having a high amount of empathy in a professional setting, I don't know where you learned it. I don't know how you learned it, but it's something that I really value in you as a COO. And it's something that I learn from every single day. And so, yeah, anytime you leave, I'm like, oh my goodness, what if something happens when Lauren is gone? And then I have to be empathetic and handle the emotions. I kind of just feel like I'm a filter sometimes. We agree often. Like there are not, I mean, there are times where Jen and I like have disagreements or we don't completely see eye to eye on things, but more often than not, we come to an agreement. But Jen is just a little bit more direct and like blunt than I am. She's very matter of fact. And I'm like, maybe we word it like this. I'm like, F this person. And Warren's like, maybe we don't say that. Maybe we say respectfully F this person. Yeah, like maybe we add a couple lines before F this person, a couple lines after, you know, make it all flow nicely. Guys, I'm from the North and in the North, we are very direct, very blunt, very to the point, but I have moved to the South and I am working on my Southern mannerisms. I'm, they're a work in progress. Lauren is helping. You're doing great. Thanks. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, let's move on and talk about, and we kind of touched on this before, but I want to go a bit more in depth. How do you know it's time to hire an additional team member? And you're more than welcome to give examples from what we've seen in Neat in the last year. Oh, okay. Well, I think there's a balancing act, right? And so it's similar for us at Neat. Client experience is really important. For a long time, Jen existed all by herself. And so she was solely responsible for what clients saw, their delivery how they felt, what their experience was. And so for anybody who owns a small business, you know, that is something that's really hard to let go of and trust that other people are going to care about your clients as much as you do. And the reality is they're probably not going to. At the end of the day, you just have to hire people who you can trust are going to give a shit. They're going to care. So like for me, I think it comes down to client experience is something that's really important. And so I've worked in settings before where... I think the business side of things, one, and what I mean by that is we're looking at overall money goals, profit goals, sales goals, and things like that. And so I think that sometimes that can win over your desire for clients to have a good experience. And the reason for that is obviously when you hire someone that costs money, if you're giving someone less clients to manage because you're concerned about client experience, obviously profit margins are not going to be as high. And so figuring out kind of how to balance that is something that's really important. And so Jen and I don't ever just say, okay, it's time to hire someone. We're looking at how many clients is one given person managing? What are our current profit margins? 
margins. How much time is being spent per client? What do we not want our profit margins to go below? What are we okay with spending? And so it's really a very multifaceted conversation and decision when we choose to bring someone on. Also, I think in this setting, in the small business setting, it's like you don't just want to jump the gun and hire someone because you're busy right this second. Maybe it's a matter of you just need to extend start dates if you're like a service-based business owner and you've got people signing contracts and they're coming on and you're doing work and you're going to be busy for two months. And then what? Then are you going to have to let that person go? So, you know, really looking at the long-term picture and not like five years from now, but maybe let's look like six months to a year from now, what are things going to look like? And so, you know, I think it's just all a very kind of large multifaceted conversation. Can you touch on, because we have a very specific number of clients, you know what we haven't talked about? And anytime I tell people about this, who they have a service-based business, they go, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Apparently other people don't structure their service-based businesses like this. But the fact that we have pods. Yes. we And then each, yeah, each pod is capped at a certain number of clients. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, and this is something that like took us, I mean, I've been with Jen for almost a year. And so it took us probably like six to nine months to really start to flesh this piece of it out. You know, obviously everybody likes money. So if somebody wants to work with you, you're like, yes, come on over. Like, I would love to work with you too. Let's just like get it going. Then what happens? And like, we've had this happen internally where it's like, you have all these clients And it's like, holy moly. Okay, well, now what am I going to do? Am I going to work 80 hours a week to like get all this work done? Like nobody wants to do that. So really figuring out where that sweet spot is. And this is going to, again, take time. It's going to take math and numbers and figuring out what works with you and your team. But how many hours a week? This is kind of how we math it out. How many hours a week do we want our team to spend per client that they're managing, right? We have pods, like Jen was saying. So we have a PR strategist who's kind of responsible for managing that client account, strategizing ideas. They're the ones who are doing the bulk of the client communication. And so they're kind of like that first line outside of Jen and I. Then we have a PR coordinator who works with that given PR strategist, and they're supporting them in the sense of they're building the outreaches, they're building the list, they're doing submissions, and they really exist together as a unit who manages their own kind of roster of clients. So with that being said, we know that we have these pods because to me, one person managing clients is not ideal. I mean, we've all kind of seen that. I mean, with one person, it's easy to forget things. It's easy to drop the ball. It's easy to like lose track and a week goes by and you're like, well, crap, where did I, I didn't do that thing over there. I think like two heads are better than one. So that was kind of the part of the original idea behind the structure is there's always someone who's in it with you. They're always someone to, to bounce ideas off of and there's help. And so there's less of a chance in our minds of people kind of dropping the balls. But then again, you know, figuring out what that sweet spot is. And so we don't let our pairings, our pods go above eight clients right now. So if you have eight active retainer clients, you're not going above that eight mark. And if we have a full roster of clients for us, our like mathematical equation that we've come up with is once we get to that point, we're going to look ahead and we're going to see, okay, how far out do these contracts go? Do we need to extend start dates or do we need to hire a new pairing? Do we need to hire a new pod? And so again, like it's very broad and there's a lot of moving parts, but I hope that this discussion helps kind of get some wheels turning. There's so many moving parts to this piece of it. If you hire too quickly, if you hire the wrong person because you need a button to seat, if you hire for us, if we hire a strategist who needs to care about people but doesn't care about people, but we just like rush to put them in there anyway, 
as a small business that could really make or break kind of your client experience, which is so important at the end of the day. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you touched on that. I'm glad you talked about the pods too, because I think, again, anytime I tell people this, they're like, you do what? That is so interesting. And one of the reasons why we moved in that direction too, is because at one point in the business, we did have somebody who was managing client calls and client communication, but then turning around and writing the pitches, building media lists. And if you think about it, those are two different skill sets. One is very, again, client-facing, very professional, good at project management, good at meeting deadlines. And then the other one is highly creative and is capable of sitting down and writing something or pulling together media lists. Like they're just two different skill sets. And we really wanted to keep people in their zone of genius, if you will. And it's made hiring so much easier too, because it is very difficult to find someone who is so skilled in account management and then strategy And then implementation, so hard to find people like that, either you're one or the other, or sometimes you can find someone who's a unicorn who can do it all, but do you really want somebody doing it all? No, No. because things are going to go missed at some point or another. So from that perspective, that has helped us a lot and things have flowed a lot more smoothly, separating out those skill sets, if you will. So I want to dive into something a bit more negative. How do you know when a team member is just no longer a good fit? What are some red flags? What are some warning signs? And you can speak from experience without naming names. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess before I get into this, I'll say, right, like this is obviously the least fun thing because I am just by default a very empathetic human and I care a lot about people. So really as someone, if you are managing people, finding that balance between like, You care about the business, but you also care about the people. For me, I think some big red flags are there's no willingness to receive feedback. Maybe you'll receive feedback, but you're not actually internalizing it and then like making changes and adjustments after you receive feedback. That's a really big red flag to me. It comes across as you just think that like, you know, better or you don't really care. It's lack of care and consideration to me that I think is like one of the big things. Because, you know, Jen and I tell our team and we tell each other, we are open to feedback. We are not perfect. We are going to get things wrong. There are messages in our team Slack channel where I'm like, hey, y'all, I did this. I'm really sorry. Here's what this means moving forward. Here's what I did to fix it. That's, I guess, another piece that segues me into that. If you are not willing to own your mistakes, admit to what you did, and then actually take the initiative to try to fix it. Because, you know, we've all had people who are presented with a thing that they did wrong and then they're like, oh, sorry, that's it. There's no follow through. Whereas like we've had people who are team members right now who have done things that were like wrong, inherently wrong, and could have resulted in a really bad client experience. And instead of running away from it or trying to hide it, they immediately were like, hey, I did this thing and I'm really sorry. And here's what I am doing to fix it. And like every time they do, I mean, I don't really know why we're surprised at this point, but every time they do it, I'm like, thank you. That's all I need. But the team members we've let go, that I think was missing for me and probably the biggest red flag. I think another thing too is excuses. There's always an excuse for something. And so again, life happens. I'm a mom. I have a kid. She is always doing something. There's always 
an activity or event or illness or something. I think if I didn't care about my job, to use those things as an excuse for like, oh, well, X, Y, and Z didn't get done or, hey, I dropped the ball over here or whatever. But I think if you care enough about your job, you care enough about the thing that you're doing. Again, it's all about ownership to me. Tell me what's going on. Communicate with me that things are happening and then we'll find a way to fix it because life's going to happen. But are you using it as an excuse to not get your work done? Are you just saying, hey, these things coexist. I need some help. So those are probably the biggest things for me. Yeah, I agree with you fully. And when it comes to hiring and figuring out, oh gosh, this person was a mistake, let people go as quickly as you possibly can when you figure out that they're not receptive to feedback or whatever. They're just not a good fit in general. The longer you hold on to someone who you know deep down inside is not a good fit for your company, it's wasting resources. It's your time. It's your money. And it impacts other people on your team who should be there. It drains people's energy. So I've heard the saying, be slow to hire and be quick to fire. And that has held true in every single case. Yes, a hundred percent. And I know, again, this is something that can seem like, I'm trying to think of the word. I mean, mean, I don't know. Yeah, it can it can harsh. Really it can harsh. But at the end of the day, let's be real. We're a small business. We don't have billions of dollars to waste on team members who don't want to be here or are just a warm body and a seat at the end of the day. We need people who want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, you need to go and you need to go very quickly because that's money. That's our money that we could be spending on people who genuinely want to be here and care to be here. And I've got all these other people on the team who do want to be here and they do care. And so that's the other thing is balancing that and being honest. I'll talk about this. You didn't ask me this question, but I've been in roles before where we're all anxious girlies on our team. We're a bunch of anxious girls. And I think there's a line between like, I'll call us the executive team, right? Because I guess that's truly what we are. There's a line between what's appropriate to share with everyone else and what's not. But I think that I've been in roles before where I was not part of the executive team and it was very much just a secret. So as an anxious person, it was always like, oh my God, am I next? Like, did I do something wrong? There was no check-in. There's no feedback. There's no information. It was just so-and-so is gone. I think the other layer to this is we're honest with our team. We let people know it's not just, oh, we've let someone go. And that's when we're honest. We're honest with them the entire time. We're constantly providing feedback. We're constantly doing check-ins. We are honest with them when we are either hiring someone or firing someone because again like your mental health is important and I think people perform better when they know what's going on and there isn't a question happening in the back of their mind yeah 100% I'm glad you touched on that and the other thing too is we do reviews right like we do one-on-ones we do 90-day reviews I never want somebody to get to that point of sitting down at the 90-day mark and us being like, well, well, like this isn't a good fit anymore. There's no surprises. We will communicate with you if we are not happy with something, if something needs to change, you will know and we will tell you multiple times. We give a lot of warnings. We're very, very nice. But part of it is I don't want anyone to feel anxious or caught off guard. At the end of the day, we have people and we're supporting individuals. We're supporting families. And yeah, I never want to catch anybody off guard. So, and that's happened to me before it's happened. I've had situations where I've sat down and they've been like, well, we didn't like X, Y, and Z. So like, there's the door. And I've been like, whoa, no one has ever said this to me before. And I've been completely surprised. Yeah. Whoever's listening, what are your 
core values. What's important to you when you are bringing on a team member? What's important to you when you're doing these things and delegating these things? Because for us, feedback is a theme throughout. It's a huge deal for us. And so it's not a secret. When I'm hiring people, I spend the first five, seven minutes of an interview telling them about the culture of our company. I'm straight up and honest about how we run, how quickly we make decisions, how often we provide feedback, what the day-to-day looks like. And I ask them before we even get into anything else, does this feel like a good fit for you? Because it might not be. I'm not going to be mad. We can let go and part ways and it's fine. But it's this setting and environment is not for everyone. And that's okay. And so figuring out kind of what your things are. And I think being front with them from the start as all the way to the interview process. But then again, being consistent throughout their time with you is it's important. And for us, feedback is just one of those things. Absolutely. And we haven't touched on this either, but personality is also very important to us because though we're all remote, I feel like I could sit down and get a drink with anybody on our team because y'all have similar personalities. Yeah. And it's just fun, right? Everyone is quirky. Everyone jokes. The Slack channel is always popping off with things. And I've hired, or I guess we've hired people that we genuinely just enjoy being around. And I think a lot of people don't think about that when they're making hires. They think hard skills. They don't think soft skills and personality. And but I hang out with this person in real life. Yeah. But like has to be a good culture fit. And can take longer to find people that fit that kind of role, that can fit that hole that you're looking to fill. But it's so, it's so worth it. We have hired, like Jen said, we've hired people who I just really like them as a person. I think they're really cool. I think they're really funny. They're witty and just, I don't know. I just, the team is really great. And I think not to say that there's never, I mean, we were on a team meeting a couple of days ago where it was, there were people who had questions and didn't necessarily agree with what Jen and I were saying. It doesn't mean just because you like someone that it's all going to be rainbows all the time, but like comes back to on a human level. I really like you. I care about you. I respect you and your opinion. Love that. Okay. Last question that I want to talk about. Is there some kind of formula or hack or something for giving feedback in a way that is kind yet direct? Mm, Yes, I think there is. Because I mean, we've all been given feedback that was so vague. Like someone was clearly dancing around your feelings. You leave that conversation and you're like, am I great? Were they trying to tell me something? Did I do something wrong? Like, it's just all very confusing and very vague. And it's because they cared too much. They were too empathetic or they were afraid to be direct and hurt someone's feelings. And so they danced around it. And then on the other side of things, I'm sure in some scenario or another, we've all been given feedback that was like a punch to the gut. It was just like mean, not delivered well. Maybe at the root of it, the feedback was true, but it was delivered in a way that like just felt hurtful and unhelpful. And so for me, I like to think about what would I need to hear in this moment for me to take away from this conversation and actually be able to go and implement this feedback and make changes. Me personally, and I know most of the people on our team, my feelings are hurt. I am not thinking about anything else but the fact that my feelings are hurt. Truly, whether that's right or wrong, that's just reality. I can't focus on anything. I can't be constructive if I'm sad or mad or any of those things. So I think like that's part of it is figuring out kind of what your approach is, how you want to balance those things. And for me, it's I get to know the people that I'm managing right from the start. We have a form that we have everybody fill out. We call it like the love list. And I ask on that form, how do you like to receive feedback? 
Are you someone that needs to get an email front and then like you want to mull it over and you want to discuss it later? Are you someone that wants me to like get on a video call with you and just schedule a call and say like, hey, let's talk this through? Are you someone who needs to see points and grading on a page? You did four out of five, three out of five, whatever. Jen's favorite kind of reference is like the Oreo, like the Alyssa calls it the shit sandwich, right? We're not just going to like say, hey, you suck at this thing. And then I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to tell you flat out, I really like how you do this thing over here. I think you do a really great job of this thing over here. I think this could be better. And here's why. And here's how I think we could go about doing that. What are your thoughts? So I guess that's the last piece of it that I'll talk about. Rarely will I ever look at someone and just be like, this is wrong. Do it this way. I've gotten feedback like that before. And I felt like I couldn't ask questions. I couldn't form opinions. What I brought to the table was not of value. And like, I'm not the person to pretend like I know everything. So for me, everything is a discussion. I'm going to make a suggestion, but then I want to hear from them. What do they think? What questions do they have? Do they agree with what I've said? Or would they make changes? Do they have other ideas? And so For me, feedback is all part of a larger conversation and it's meant to help us come to a mutual understanding of what's not working, but collectively how we can make it better moving forward. It's not as black and white as I think everybody makes it out. Yeah. And the way in which you give feedback is disarming. It doesn't feel like you're attacking someone when you immediately show up to a conversation and you're like, this isn't good. Don't do this. This is bad. The person immediately jumps to defense mode and tries to be like, well, I did this because of this. And it's not a productive conversation at all. So the way in which you approach it when you talk about, hey, I really like X, Y, and Z. However, with this particular thing, I would appreciate this, or this is what I'd like to see from you. How can we get there together? Yeah. And I think the way you word it matters like it or not, and it drives my husband crazy is why I'm saying that like that. Still to this day, we've been married for almost eight years. When he says things to me and he's providing me feedback, like it or not, everyone gets feedback constantly, whether it's in work or personal or whatever. And I'm like, I heard nothing you said because of the way that you said it. The way you worded that, that's all I can hear. So like the way that you word things to people really, really matters. And so even in a message I just sent earlier this week, if I'm unsure about something or if I know that something's not working, but I'm willing to have a conversation about it. It's like, let's discuss this. Let's talk about this when we get on a call. So I think it's just the little things that people don't often think about. And it takes five extra minutes to have care and consideration for like how you're coming across when you're talking to people that I think, like you said, it can help people feel not defense mode. Absolutely. Another thing that I've tried to do more recently because we'll get on client calls and then our team will hang out after the client call. And (laughs) I try to hang up really quickly. The client will hang up and then like, we will sit there and kind of chat about the call, but simply asking whoever led the call, what do you think went well? And where do you think you could improve? A lot of times people know where they went wrong and that gives them an opportunity to talk about it and come to their own conclusion. And that's also a great time to add on to other things they may want to consider in the future. Yes. It again, it's constant, right? It's fluid. It's not just you get to a 90 day review or a one year review and you're like, oh, well, I wonder what they're going to say. No, no one on our team is ever going to wonder what we're going to say because we're constantly asking questions. And I think for me, that's how I get better, truly. 
I think it was probably from running my own business, really, because like I've never had a job, like an actual job from somebody else outside of Jen. Like Jen will be very direct and give me feedback, which I thoroughly appreciate. But like nobody else has ever done that. Had to learn how to give myself feedback. Had to learn how to assess. And I think that's probably why we started doing this after client calls, because I would do that. I would get off of client calls and I would make a list of what I did that I liked, what I did that I didn't like, how I wanted to like do it differently the next time. And just like being honest with yourself it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You're not awesome. You're not terrible. It's just, you just are. And we're just going to keep getting better over time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this entire conversation and I hope that my audience can take away a few tidbits from this. Any last words? Anything we didn't touch on that you really wanted to speak on? I'm trying to think. I feel like we talked about so many things, even things that I didn't think we were going to talk about. I feel like that was it. I think okay. we did. All right. That's the pod. Thanks, Lauren. That's the pod. We did it. What a journey. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Served Need. I hope you enjoyed listening and found some tasty nuggets of marketing wisdom to help you take your brand to the next level. Remember, just like a perfectly crafted cocktail, marketing is all about finding the right balance and serving it up with a splash of creativity. So keep building, keep refining, and keep serving up your brand with style. And if you're thirsty for more insights, Follow me on Instagram at neat.marketing for even more marketing tips and tricks. Be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode of Served Neat. Until then, cheers. Cheers.